0: of the Social Transgressions podcast. This is Lindy, your host, and we are here today with a very lovely guest and I guess you could say colleague we have only met virtually, but we have Zach Sadiq with us. And Zach, if you would, please introduce yourself by telling us a bit about what you do, if you prefer person first or identity first language, and Two to three of your interests outside of work.
1: Sure. Okay. Well, hello everyone. Um, and thank you so much for having me. I'm, you know, really glad to be here today and talk to, you know, talk to you, um, talk to the folks who listen. And I have to say like, it's the first time someone's ever actually like called me lovely. So, um, I'm just blushing a little, but you probably can't see it since, um, the video's not up. So, Um, Yeah, I guess I'm autistic, so I use identity first. I'm a social worker. I do a lot of uh, community organizing work for um, the autistic community in Seattle. Um, And now since we've gone virtual, um, we're having a lot of people attend our groups from like all all areas of the world, like um, Israel, like Bulgaria, you know, Canada, different parts of the US. So it's been really exciting to connect to other folks. Um, And like for what I like doing outside of like the work, um, you know, I love playing video games. Um, I used to love reading until I went through grad school. And so I'm still trying to um, get my reading mode back in. Um, And I, you know, like hanging out with my girlfriend and friends and um, just watching movies, you know, just laid back stuff. Does that sort of answer all the questions? I, I got ADHD, so sometimes I forget like all of them.
0: Yes, you did great. Thank you. So we have an outline, but knowing us and knowing people with autism and ADHD, it isn't always going to be followed necessarily. So don't feel obligated to follow the outline exactly. But I am going to start with a question that we have on it, which is how did you decide you wanted to be a social worker?
1: Yeah, that's actually a really good question. And actually, in a lot of ways, I feel like social work sort of, um, you know, chose me. Um, And I'll, I'll, let me tell a really like roundabout story. Um, So, you know, like growing up, I didn't really know like anyone like me, Um, you know, didn't really know any other autistic people. I was probably one of the first like diagnosed in my school district in uh, rural Colorado. And, Yeah, like I just had problems connecting with other people, like other people had, you know, issues connecting with me, you know, we were all just sort of on like different wavelengths. And so it was really like a lonely and isolating experience. And I always wished like I had other people like me, you know, other autistic people who I could really just connect with and who got me. Um, And so, um, you know, the messages I always received about, you know, my specific brand of autism was that, since I'm so quote unquote high functioning, and I hate that term for a lot of reasons, um, you know, that like my autism just wouldn't really be an impact in my life. And if I just sort of like masked and hit it, like um, things would be better for me. And I sort of like internalized that and believed it, um, you know, through like middle school, high school, college, like right up until I was fired for my first two jobs after college. And then I was like, oh, hey, what's going on here? Like, it's not really on me, like, if my autism is going to be a problem or not. It's really on, like, the kindness of the non-autistic people around me who are often the ones who control the spaces. Um, And I also was thinking, like, you know, if my personal brand of autism is so like mild what's happening to those who have a harder time of it like if I'm struggling like must be worse for them and so that sort of like radicalized me to become a social worker um you know just like trying to end the 80 percent unemployment rate or like you know the nine times greater suicide rate um extremely high like sexual assault rate or domestic violence rate or homelessness rate so really addressing like trying to address all of the healthcare disparities and then also like the lack of I guess personhood autistic people have traditionally been given throughout society um, and then just changing up the power dynamics so that autistic people ourselves are the ones who are just, you know, essentially like dictating where the resources for us go, um, where the research funding goes, and just making sure that like, autistic people are represented in like all of the settings where autistic children and adults receive services. So like schools, mental health clinics, early intervention centers, all of that. Um, Yeah, that was me in my soapbox.
0: Definitely, and I resonate with your story a lot because I had tried to go through life with, as you you call it, my own brand of autism, and I don't like functioning language either, and then I got to my first job, got fired from my first job, and really just had to contemplate, what did I really want to do, and I decided that I could not go gentle into that good night, No, (laughs) it's one of my favorite sayings, and Mm -hmm. you know, I just wanted to talk about being autistic all the time. Yeah. So, and this is the kind workers,
1: of. We're totally lucky to be able to do that.
0: <laughs> yeah, this is the kind of job where you get to do that. What strengths do you and other autistic people bring to the field of social work? And of course, we know that all autistic people are different, have their own lived experiences. Mm-hmm. So, interpret this question as you will.
1: Totally, yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, I think the first thing that comes to mind, like, you know, thinking of all the autistic people I know is that like we, have a much sort of like stronger or like ingrained sense of like what's right and what's wrong, what's just and what's unjust. And I think that sort of like clarity um can lend itself well to, you know, being a social worker or a social change maker. You know, we have often most of us, I would say almost all of us um have been like marginalized in our own lives, and we know we know what it's like to be on the other side of like privilege. Like we have, been oppressed in our own lives. Um, and, you know, I think that just sort of gives us a much um, greater empathy for, um, you know, some of the other like marginalized groups like folks of color or, um, you know, queer trans folks or really any sort of like people who have marginalized identity. You know, I think we also bring this a type of like, really like creative thinking, like sense, you know, thinking about like neurodiversity, um, you know, in the social model of disabilities, like, our differences are a strength in the right environment, and it's on society to, um, accommodate us and help create that environment, rather than the fact that we are often expected to be, the, to be the ones who conform to society's often oppressive standards. So, you know, I know of a lot of, like, autistic folks who just have very great, like, analytical minds and, um, you know, are great like social psychologists or like researchers. Um, There's a lot of like empathetic autistic people who make um, really good clinicians. Um, So yeah, I think depending on the person's like personal brand of autism, there are so many areas of social work where they can bring their strengths and the great thing about social work is that like it's such a versatile per, you know profession and like we can do everything from being like a clinician to like a policy analyst in the state government or you know anything between that.
0: I don't think most people realize how many things you can do within the field of social work like there's there's micro level and then there's mezzo and then there's macro level which is analyzing policy and doing a lot of legislative and grant writing and development work. Mm -hmm. My brothers laughed at me when I said that I was going to be a social worker because Mm -hmm. they saw me like this introverted antisocial person who talks about how she likes to be alone and not be overstimulated by other people being loud and chaotic. Mm And so I had to explain to them, no, I don't, I don't hate people, but I do kind of embrace the label of being the antisocial social worker because <laughs> I think funny. it's funny.
1: Oh yeah, that definitely makes sense. Like, you know, since social work is such a versatile pro- you know, profession, like there's all sorts of strengths um, you can bring and there's always an area of social work where you'll fit in well.
0: And then I wanted to go just a little bit into your social work education. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like your social work program did a good job of including actually autistic and disabled perspectives?
1: For the most part, no. You know, this is a, I think, a really complicated area. You know, I would say like by and large, the University of Washington social work program was definitely lacking in like disability criteria, you know, disability curricula when I was going through about um, was about three or four years ago now, you know, there was one elective class um, that people were able to take. And when like social work is in like, I, I think that um, out of like any community, social workers are guaranteed to work with folks with disabilities. Like 100% of us will work with someone with a disability at some point, whether we know it or not. And so, you know, like UW did an amazing job, you know, like I would say like centering voices of like, you know, folks of color or folks, you know, queer, trans folks, folks from a lot of the other marginalized identity groups. And I often feel like, disability isn't as widely talked about um, within many of the like social justice circles I've seen and you know like I like it's it always feels complicated to say this as a white dude where like I have so many other like privileged identities Um, but I definitely did feel like you know, disability curricula was lacking. Like UW has made some improvements in that area. Like there's now panels that are required um, for the students to attend about like disability justice, disability rights um, and like stuff like the 504 protests. Um, But I always think there's more that can be done. And, you know, ultimately I think, you know, the liberation of one group can't happen without the liberation of every single other group. So, you know, we definitely have to make sure we have a very um, sort of like holistic, like balanced perspective on like all of the different um, experiences of privilege and oppression and marginalization.
0: Um. For improvement and adaptation. At my program, it kind of feels like anytime we talk about the experiences of marginalized people, it's just sort of a a flavor of the day kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So like one day we'll talk about experiences of black folks and the next day Mm. we'll talk about experiences of trans folks and it doesn't Mm -hmm. feel like there's a whole lot of intersectionality or that it's really a core part of the curriculum like you said it feels more like something that's been added rather Mm. than something that's been modified and integrated into the core classes
1: yeah oh that's I think in some ways that's kind of depressing to hear. Like, I, I do think like UW did a pretty good job of like talking about all of the intersectional experiences Um, and it didn't necessarily, I mean, like I'll say as my experience as a white dude, like it didn't necessarily feel like, you know, the other groups were like a flavor of the month. Like I did feel like there was a very good and like strong sort of like focus and understanding of like all of the, you know, of like, you know, race-based oppression and like, you know, other, other forms of oppression. Um, and, you know, we did have a lot of like professors of color, you know, in, you know professors from very like marginalized groups. So I think that really um, improved the quality of the education. But I know like social work in a lot of ways is a very like white, you know, profession. And there's a lot of like work that needs to be done there.
0: Well, I just wanna say congratulations. You passed round one of questioning. Round two will be a little bit more in depth, so you can think of it like you're playing Mario Kart and you're on the last lap where the music speeds up and everything just devolves into complete chaos.
1: Okay, I'll do my best not to panic.
0: All right. so we all know it's a myth that autistic people don't experience empathy. Mm. Obviously you would not reproduce that myth in any of your work but it is true that we can have trouble with expression or soft Mm -hmm. skills that are considered a necessary part of social work. Mm -hmm. How do you navigate building rapport with clients when social communication is a core part of social work?
1: So like pretty much all of my social work has been within the autistic community um, with autistic people. So I'll say like, I think, Autistic people just have different soft skills. Like I, um, you know, regularly facilitate groups of like, you know, upwards of like 30 autistic folks. Um, And it's just like, what I've come to realize is the way our, just with the differences of our neurology. That's a good question. Um, There's more of the neurotypicals than there are of us. Like it's often our different sort of like soft skills or social work skills are (laughs) labeled as different or deficient and you know like for those autistic social workers who aren't like privileged to work within their own communities then yeah um that definitely does make it a lot trickier you know i from the you know whole like empathy point of view i think i believe more in the like double empathy you know viewpoint in that like It's hard for autistic people to empathize with non-autistic people, and it's the same thing, vice versa, is happening. You know, we know from research that autistic people face um, implicit bias you know, whether or not the other people know we're autistic or not, um, and we're more likely to be judged um, negatively or seen as threatening. Um, And, you know, when you're like an autistic person of color, like you're dealing with the racialized ableism on top of all of that, and it's often much more threatening. Let's see, where was I going with this tangent? Um, So I think for those who do have to work, you know, in Non autistic organizations or spaces like, you know, try and use the ADA um, where you can to protect yourself, you know, like our like, we definitely do have to be able to, like, build good rapports with the folks we're working with. And so, like, you know, masking might be inevitable in some of those contexts. Um, But, like, try to bring your authentic self as much as you can. It's often much easier in the long run, and you don't have to, you don't have to deal with as much, like, you know, job-related burnout or, like, autistic burnout. Um, You know, it can work to you know, sometimes explain your differences as a part of, like, having ADHD or, like, you know, anxiety, um, and, you know, since most autistic folks got, like, one or both of those, like, there's less, I you know, there's less stigma around those, and I hate that we sort of have to, like, fall into those sorts of, like, oppressive um, dynamics to build rapport with clients or our co-workers but sometimes like you know when the job's on the line and we gotta like you know we gotta eat and pay for housing like sometimes that's what you gotta do and then you know if your organization's open to it and you know has a good like disability understanding or focus like you know you can be a change maker within those organizations like using some of the aspects of like macro social work and like organizational change or like adaptive leadership to um, change some of the like internal attitudes or like policies and practices to make like the organizations more like autistic affirming and um, friendly. Like I probably know, trying to think how many have actually been able to last in like non-autistic organizations, maybe like three or four of them. Like most of them either end up, you know, doing private practice or, just working in the disability field where there's more acceptance. So I do, you know, I do think it's an area where we need some um, transformative justice. And right now, like we're stuck with the oppressive situations we find ourselves in. And sometimes we got to make those shitty decisions for survival, you know,
0: I would like to share my answer to this question, because I feel that it may help other autistic listeners or potential Mm. autistic social workers who are listening today. So I navigate the social communication part of social work by asking a lot of questions. Mm. I do mostly micro work. That is the area that I want to go into. So often when I'm reading case studies, I won't come to the same conclusions based on the implications I'm supposed to get from what's written down. And I think that makes me more Mm open-minded. And then I don't really experience compassion fatigue the same way that neurotypical people do, because I have a really good system of compartmentalizing, okay, so here's where work is on this little box. And then here's where personal life is in this little box like Mm -hmm. I don't view myself as a person who's very swayed by strong emotions and not someone who's gonna get wrapped up in the personal lives of other people to the point where it emotionally affects me outside of work and I find that logic guides a lot of my work and Mm -hmm. we're not talking about logic like two plus two equals four or Mm -hmm. any kind of convoluted mathematical formulas I'm just thinking about logic in terms of the the systems that are in place being illogical and not making sense from different perspectives. Like there's the cost benefit analysis perspective. A lot of our systems do Mm -hmm. not make sense, such as the fact that it is cheaper to house people who are houseless, then leave them out on the streets. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't make sense to me. That is illogical to me. And I can find ways to empathize with people who are the victims of these illogical systems. Mhm yeah that did. and i think
1: yeah you know from hearing what you said i think there are definitely like so many different approaches you can take um you know and i think it's definitely dependent on like your specific brand of autism you know the organization you find yourself in like if they're tolerant of People having dis, you know different viewpoints or approaching things from a different paradigm like sometimes they are sometimes like when you're working in community mental health that can bring a lot of tension and you have to be sort of like skilled politically to be able to handle that yeah but no that's that those are really good points um because yeah like a lot of us do bring much more like analytical or logical mindset and sometimes it's can make it harder to deal with some of the, like, neurotypical bullshit or, like, shenanigans, you know, like the um, whole, like, houseless situation you were describing. So, yeah.
0: And finally, I wanted to get your take on this scenario. Mm -hmm. So I am in my second year of the three-year program in the School of Social Work right now, and... Mm -hmm. We talk frequently about how to best meet the competencies set by the Council on Social Work Education. Mm -hmm. And I find myself every quarter struggling with competency 6B, and I'll read it out loud for you since I know it's been a while since you've been in school social work. It states as follows, listen and communicate with a wide range of clients Mm -hmm. and client systems using unconditional positive regard warmth genuineness and a non-judgmental empathic style Mm
1: -hmm. attending
0: effectively to verbal non-verbal and implicit communication and able Mm -hmm. to tolerate and work with conflict and strong emotions Mm -hmm. so the listeners aren't going to see this but my face just shriveled up when I said several of those words Mm -hmm. I want to ask you in sort of a multi-part format Is this competency fair to autistic people? How can it be more inclusive of autistic people or should it just stay the way it is and not be changed at all?
1: I think what we definitely need to consider with that specific competency is that the way you show like warmth and empathy is different from, you know, culture to culture. Um, and I think, you know, the way I see autism is as a different culture, you know, the way we show empathy and, you know, warmthness is, you know, by like info dumping about our shared interests or like stimming around someone. And, you know, I think like any social worker, like working outside of their community, like, yeah, they're definitely like you definitely do have to adapt to best serve the folks you're working with. And I do understand like that puts, that does put an additional burden um, on, you know, social workers who come from like more marginalized identities or like communities that are less common and active. So I think that, you know, I think that the Council of Social Work Education definitely needs to, you know, keep in mind that there are so many different ways of showing that warmth and empathy and you know when we as social workers are serving clients like we do want to make sure that like you know the clients do feel welcome and heard and listened to and you know sometimes people might not feel that way you know when we're interacting with them autistically like and uh, so much of that just comes down to like the lack of understanding of how autistic people show empathy and you know warmth and compassion so you know, I think at the end of the day, like, you know, we do need to serve the clients where they're at. And we also do need to be doing advocacy to make sure that like, you know, autistic social workers aren't unfairly like marginalized or punished for showing warmth and empathy differently. Like, um, yeah, I think. And I definitely like, it's definitely one of those like really like gray, like nuanced areas, like competing, conflicting interests. Um, And I think you know, I think at the end of the day, you know, both social work and social workers need to meet people where they're at um, and not punish them for that.
0: It's really about the client that you're serving in social work. And sometimes mm-hmm. your own identities sort of have to take a backseat. As unfortunate as that sounds, it's a reality of working in the profession. Yeah. I get to this competency in my self-evaluation every quarter. And I just let out a big sigh. I go, oh my gosh, this one again. Yeah. And I just, I look at it, and I feel like it's just setting me up to fail. Because obviously, if someone else were to rate me on the competencies, they would not find me very competent in Mm -hmm. nonverbal and implicit communication. But Mm -hmm. my brain just doesn't really really work that way.
1: Exactly. And, like, you know, because it's a disability and, you know, if they try to, like, fire you or, like, punish you for it, like, that's an area where, like, you would have protection under, like, the Americans with Disabilities Act. So, you know, I think for a lot of social workers, it comes down to, like, knowing our legal rights and, like, where the law protects us and, like, how to you know, respond in situations where we are facing like discrimination and oppression within the own organizations we work for. But I think a lot of it too, like, like, we just have to find supportive agencies where we'll be listened to or understood. And, you know, it is definitely a symptom of and manifestation of oppression that we have to do that, that we, you know, our choices are restricted where we can work and what we can do, unfortunately. Um, And then, yeah, it just goes back to my old example of like, whether or not being autistic is a problem is really just down to the good graces of the neurotypicals. So, you know, whether or not that, you know, the fact that you don't do that competency in a traditionally non-autistic way, like, yeah, it really depends on your supervisors and those you're working with, so yeah that, but yeah, that's scary. Like I, you know, there was a point where it was looking like I wouldn't be able to work with and like disability social work. And like that honestly terrified me, like think not thinking about that specific competency, but like, you know, that sort of dynamic we've been talking about. It's, it's scary.
0: Okay. Well, I want to thank you again, so much, Zach, for being on the podcast for free (laughs) and letting me exploit your labor for the purposes of the podcast. Of
1: course. Yeah. And I would like to thank you for uh, giving me a good excuse uh, to ignore my emails for the past like hour. Um, I always look for reasons to do that and I appreciate you were able to provide me one.
0: You're welcome. The Social Transgressions Podcast will be back next Monday with a new episode topic to be determined. Bye. (laughs)